Welcome everybody to Embracing Crazy. It is amazing to be back. I am Taro Corin, and this is season two. So cheers. I uh, have been meaning to get back to creating episodes of Embracing Crazy for a while now, and uh, it wasn't until now that it all came together and it felt appropriate. In fact, it felt downright about time to start again. And uh, like I said, a new set of waves, uh, here I am. And I plan to do many episodes, a lot of solo stuff as well, on being in conversation with you all and myself about mental health in general and all the subtle nuances that I get to discover on a behavioral level, both as a human being that's come through a critical case of mental illness, but also as a behavioral coach, uh, someone that uses, regardless of my medium being voice, music, and song, that my true mission, my true core, what wakes me up in the morning is to help guide people to new relationships with their mind and body, one that is thriving. So let's begin, and I wanted to begin in episode one about starting my first ever endeavor into solo music, and it's been many years coming. So I've named this podcast, or this episode, I mean, Here I Go, and Here I Go, and the first song I'm going to release today when this podcast comes out is a song called Here I Go, and I wanted to use this episode to unpack the meaning and the story behind the song. This song is my deepest share on what it felt like, what it, what the experience was to go through OCD like I did, and what it took to find that turning point, or even, I wouldn't say find, I would say after many, many years of trying to find the turning point, being faced uh, with the answer the passing through a narrow keyhole, I like to call it. And so this song embodies really a journey that I took over my whole life, but really over the course of seven or eight years uh, from when OCD kicked in uh, as an adult, an adult onset case, if you will, to a breakthrough that I had right around 31. So I'll unpack some of the lyrics and uh, see what happens. So the song, Here I Go, starts in a conversation that I'm having with myself. And sometimes I'm having the conversation directly to this bad relationship I'm in. And I, I feel like in so many ways, that's what it feels like when you're going through some kind of mental illness, you know, be it any variety. But in my case, what I know so true or so deeply about is anxiety, is obsession. I can only imagine and have obviously done a lot of my own self-study on other types of mental illness. In the case of OCD, it often feels like a wakeful madness where the part of you that you're experiencing nagging at you, alarming you, triggering you, leading you to, to do actions or to avoid um, feels sometimes like a screaming toddler uh, like you've been trapped in a really bad relationship but don't know how to get out and so 
in some ways in the song I talk like it's a bad relationship that's that's tormenting me. Um, one of the things that I I felt trapped in that the song really goes into was this idea that I could never make it out. I could never make it out of the nightmare. Uh, I start with the line, uh, I've been standing on the fallacy that I've, I'll never be all right. And I think at my worst, that's how it felt. I felt like no matter how hard I dug um, to, to scratch out of the hole, the, the deeper the hole became. And I remember this one particular time where I started to have episodes where I would, you know, begin to flirt with self-harm where I would would take myself to the edge and feel so ashamed of how I was being, how obsessed I was and how I was trying to break out of the rituals uh, and compulsions that I was doing that I felt the only way to kind of break the cycle was to be almost physically violent with myself. And it only happened a handful of times that my incredible wife will remember a couple of them she witnessed. But one time, uh, the and the true time I felt really, really scared was the second line of the song. I say, I was afraid I could take a knife to my head tonight. And I remember the fascination that I had in this moment of rebellion, of rage, that I felt so helpless with the crazy thoughts, feelings, sensations, and emotions that were going on in my head, that I felt this almost vengeful idea that maybe I could cut it out of my head. Maybe I could, maybe I could uh, take it down with me. And maybe, just maybe, that, that would be ultimately satisfying. And I remember in that moment feeling that and equally feeling terrified and scared that I'd felt that. And for those of you out there that have felt that way, I, I have such empathy for that moment of feeling so ashamed or so disempowered for so long and so trapped in a way of being so tormented that somewhere the idea of that was satisfying. Of course, if you're having any ideations or or suicide uh, tendencies, please reach out for help. And it was in that moment I did. And I remember being in LA at the time. I was staying with a friend in a pool house when I had this experience. And it was the very next morning I reached out to my mother and I said, uh, I need help. I need more help than I have, you know. And at the time I was doing weekly um, OCD sessions, uh, cognitive behavioral sessions with this particular social worker. And where I had gotten to in my life uh, was too far gone for only that much help. And so often we, we become isolated, you know, in the stigma of mental illness. Maybe we don't realize how far gone we are some of us are functioning just fine, still doing the work in the world that we want to do. And yet the level of distortion and dysfunction is greater than the help we're receiving. Maybe we haven't asked for help yet. Maybe the help we're getting is all we can afford. And yet in that moment, and so gratefully, I had the privilege and 
the support around me that when I did ask for more help, the funds, uh, the muscle and the support came and the muscle, I mean, someone to help me look into what other options I might have. And I ended up at an intensive treatment program, um, adjunct to UCLA called the Westwood Anxiety Institute. And over the course of the next two months, I was a part of uh, a very deep dive intensive. And uh, for those of you out there that have experienced OCD, an intensive is one pathway. I spent about six hours a day in an outpatient program designed for me to face begin to unpack the level of OCD that had been caging me in in my life. Now, a lot of you that might be listening uh, know me, and my case of OCD, as severe as it was, I somehow could not hide it but keep it to myself and still be in my life. But really the truth behind that statement is that my life was becoming smaller and smaller. Uh, I was also in an ecology you know, in an industry, if you will, that uh, it was easy to hide in. Being a musician, being a touring artist, being someone living in LA for three months to make a record, being on a label that was supporting me to write the album. There's really easy ways to hide mental illness depending on the lifestyle you have. And in my case, somewhere it was almost accidentally celebrated, like that it was contributing to my art somehow that the the struggles that I was having were helping me pen the songs if you will and I remember feeling that way I remember feeling maybe this is making me creative well what I've discovered is it wasn't it wasn't making me creative it was something I was suffering from and we've seen so many cases now um, especially as mental health awareness grows and proliferates through the world, that so many artists, famous artists, artists you've never heard of, have struggled with mental illness in so many ways, so many artists. And a lot of them didn't get the help they needed from potentially Michael Jackson, of course, to famously Amy Winehouse, to many others. Of course, this affects everyone from any walk of life, but there's some special code the world has with artists and celebrating their genius slash madness that I believe as a community of human beings, we're getting, I don't want to use the word wrong, but we are distorting it for our own entertainment quite often, accidentally, that we believe the mad artist is genius. Right? It's in my belief that that artist might be even more genius if they were in their mental wellness. So in my experience, it's been very much the case. And the life that I live now in my mental health, uh, with the amount of function that I have now, I am 10 times more creative, more capable, and more prolific than I ever was in that struggle. Now, I'll never be able to carve out what going to those depths allowed me to tap as an artist. And there is absolutely a journey to take um, into ourselves and how that can highlight the great art we're meant to leave. And I'll never uh, dispute that. However, as we come through that, all artists can be well and still be great artists.
That is my personal assertion. And I would like to continue to help that new way of being and narrative proliferate in our culture. Uh, in the first verse of Here I Go, I talk about that I really, it says, given away all realities for the sake of my worried mind. If I could tame you, I would maybe, maybe make myself paralyzed. And the notion that I could tame my mind, that I could fix the brokenness of my triggered thoughts, that I could stop thinking of the pink elephant, that I could convince that worried part of me to stop being terrified, and uh, that I could mute out and silence and yell at a part of me that wouldn't stop warning me with anxiety. And when that's not possible, and if in fact the opposite happened, it would grow and grow and grow, that the next best option would be, gosh, I'd just love to maybe paralyze myself, you know, take myself out. Um, that often that's what happens for someone that's really struggling with their mental health and it's such a silent beast. But inside us, all is a part that wants to fix something that feels wrong. And yet the very fixing, the very act of trying to fix our anxiety, trying to squash out the trigger of wanting to be obsessed or wanting to follow that compulsion, trying to fix it only makes it grow. What a paradox. And in that moment of my, my worst episodes over all those years, uh, it was feeling like I had gone so far, tried to fix it for so many hours that I would get so dizzy with it all, so overwhelmed with this feeling that I had been running around in circles, missing my day, ruining my weekend, that on top of this feeling of trying to fix myself and it having no effect at all except making it worse, that's really when the shame sets in. That's when the shame really sets in for us all, that we start feeling so unproud of ourselves. I often talk about that I think being proud of oneself is the greatest currency there is. It's greater than any other currency I've found. Cash, credit, uh, compliment, approval. Uh, I don't want to say love, but you know what? I think it is the currency of love. To be proud of oneself is the access point of self-love. And I know two things that I've discovered through experiencing them, and that's how I know, know this to be true. At my worst, I was so unproud of how I was being. And the weight of that feeling kept the cycle going. I feel that's a whole episode in and of itself. So I'll leave it at that for now. But later in my life, over these last handful of years, I felt so proud of myself. And I felt how big that is of a currency, of a, vi of a literal vital force that when we 
we act in ways that bring that elixir to us, that key blood flow to our bodies, to our life, that that proud of myself currency, it feeds us more than anything. And the gateway to that kind of self-love and how that can have an effect on our mental wellness is uh, addictive in the right way. It's contagious in the right way. And it can really redefine our relationship by following the breadcrumbs to finding that proudness. Uh, Of course, not putting any value on it. You have to get here in order to be proud of oneself. But in the little micro moments, discovering how to be proud of yourself, even in the wake of such dysfunction and distortion uh, of mental illness and mental and emotional struggle, even when we feel overwhelmed and confused, finding the little moments that make you feel like the small wins, I would say. The small wins. Can you gather those small wins? So later in the song, I here I go, I say, uh, even through it all, somehow, even through it all, I've turned out fine. And if you've been struggling with OCD or anxiety, hypochondriasis, uh, obsession of any kind, self Um, doubt uh, even all of that around subjects what I discovered is no matter how intense the subjects were uh, almost all of those subjects dried up and almost none of those subjects I recalled years later all I could see was the damage that had been done to my body to my mind Uh, to my life by following the subjects, the triggered parts of me, Um, that my OCD was really moving from one subject to the other over the course of many years. But the subjects never remained. What remained was really me. And none of those subjects had actually um, come true. That the terror, the nightmare... And the uh, horror movies that my OCD would play out uh, were fictitious. And they were just that. And after all, uh, even on my bad days and all the way through to my turnaround, uh, when I began to truly act in new ways, uh, started to say to my OCD or those little parts of me, you know what? I decline what you're asking me to do. You know what? I'm going to do the very thing I was about to do anyway. Or, you know what? I'm going to leave this till tomorrow and not follow this obsession. As I started to do that, I started to gather new ways of being and I started to gather this new evidence that made me look back from to the next, you know, from to the yesterday when my body was alarming me and go, wow, that really was bullshit and it was a little trigger right that lasted for an hour at the time which now seems like so long a lot of my triggers only last very short amounts of time now but I could look back if I just had the courage to say no not now and weather through those feelings thoughts sensations and emotions and by the next day I could look at that subject and go that was bullshit That, that was worth taking the risk on 
that was worth letting be. And that's what I mean by in that moment of the pre-chorus of the song, I say, even through it all, I've turned out fine. Even though we're fallen and in that moment of my worst, you're still mine. And I discovered that those broken parts of me were mine, that, that they weren't me, they were mine to have. And if you've done any work with me uh, and me and my brother together as well, our, one of our kind of main methodologies really is to help redefine people's attachment to those parts of them that have felt not okay. And we call them the small voices, exactly what we're talking about here. Any automatic negative leaning thought, feeling, sensation, or emotion that triggers automatically in our body when we're about to fully express ourselves or about to try something new or unknown or about to do something that didn't work when we were younger, that our bodies have filed a little trauma marker to warn us, are you sure you're okay this time? In the wake of those old moments that maybe didn't work, we call them the small voices, those little parts of us that trigger. And through my experience with mental illness, I realized that I, I, it's up to me to not be these triggers, these obsessions. It's up to me to have them. It's up to me to own them. And it's even up to me to eventually, and this was over a long period of time, accept them, welcome them. Be, even be okay with how uncomfortable they were making me. And in that space of becoming even remotely, mildly objective rather than subjective, as opposed to seeing that I am anxious rather than saying I have this anxiety, the more I began to have it, uh, the more it became mine to hold. It became mine to invite under my wing with me. And I started over time recognizing that I could actually handle having it. I could actually begin to handle having a crazy amount of anxiety going off in my mind and body and still be okay and still be present to the actual moment that I was having that made it go off in the first place. Now, this is such an incredible distinction to me because we've been taught somewhere in Western culture, family, community culture, pop culture, we've been taught somewhere that in an important moment and when we're being present and our best, that if we suddenly are inundated with noises, thoughts, feelings, sensations, emotions, anxiety, that that very experience is wrong and we should fix it because this is an important moment. We should, we should quickly like try to figure out how to squash that. This is not the time for this to be here. But it is the time for that to be there. It's the very time it should be going off, right when you're up to something that is calling you to emerge, bringing back up those feelings of not feeling safe, not good enough, not perfect, whatever it is that's triggering in you, uh, memory uh, of a time in your life something didn't work out and suddenly your body's remembering, oh, this looks a bit like that. 
that's exactly when the anxiety is going to go off. And to realize it's yours that you have that anxiety and realize that you're still alive, that you, no matter how scary it's been, are capable of having. Uh, only at your pace, of course. And there was times that there was, I was only capable of so much. But I always, as I went along over the last 10, 11 years since my breakthrough with my own mental health, I've just incrementally been, been able to handle more and more. I've been able to recognize that I've always been able to handle my anxiety. Part of that has been forming a new relationship to what it feels like to be uncomfortable. That so many of us have been taught and hardwired to get squeamish around those sensations, body sensations, panic of the mind, so that we actually begin to swirl and disassociate from our body, um, move to avoid, move to fix quickly, as opposed to sitting in it and allowing yourself as best you can to experience it as best you can until the waves of that experience begin to pass, be it hour, hours, or minutes, that really it changes when it changes. And that that chemistry occurring in your body through all of this incredible systems that you've been gifted from your ancestors, um, the vagus nerve, the limbic system, the old ancient part of the brain up into the frontal cortex, that all of this that we actually know through science, but also all that we, that we are still discovering, we know that we've been gifted this ancient biological system that we have the absolute responsibility to continue to improve our relationship to the one we've been given. And one way to say that would be, how well can you handle yours? Yours exactly as it is. Oh, so into the chorus of the song, the chorus says, here I go. I'm still scared, but I'm not afraid to show I dare. I don't know what's going to happen this time, but to jump is to declare, here I go. Are you there? And I just really loved writing that chorus and to me, the spirit of the chorus is saying, no matter how this feels, no matter how unknown it is, no matter how scary uh, it's making me, no matter how anxious I am in my body, no matter how racing my thoughts are, that there's this little quiet, life-intelligent part of me that's saying, this is all distortion. Step forward anyway. Share the next sound say that thing don't avoid your life step in anyway without attachment to the result that stepping in produces and this is really the spirit of daring to suck that isaac and i and my brother in our work around the songwriter's journey and all of our voice programs lead with the declaration that we are here comes from the sound that we make next 
regardless of who's listening, that we are the ones to sound out and to receive ourselves too. And in this chorus, it was as simple as that. Uh, when, when I, 10 or 11 years ago, when I had my turnaround, I made a commitment to the universe. And that commitment was, I'll, I'll just put one foot in front of the other. And in every moment to the best of my ability, I will take the risk. I will let things be that I recognize as OCD. I will do my best to not do a compulsion in the face of knowing it's a, an obsession that just triggered in me. I will do my best to not avoid the very things that might make my OCD go off. So, you know, for me it was, I had a lot of avoidances around going to certain air places in New York City that would re-trigger memories of feeling unsafe. So if suddenly I got triggered, I would say, well, I'm going to walk down that street, you know. I'm going to uh, not, another one would be I'd have a thought that felt very contaminating to me. And my compulsion or ritual might be to kind of clear that thought away or um, bless myself or so many different rituals that I would have done then. And in that moment, my commitment would be to let, let it be, to not do anything about that contaminating thought even to just take the risk that that thought might contaminate me. So these were my commitments that I would, one foot in front of the other, do my best to dare, to take the risk that this was all OCD, that this was all mental distortion, that this was all physical sensations, alarms, triggers, that my body was throwing at me because it had behaviorally learned to do so. And that maybe, just maybe, I could one moment at a time rewire my experience, rewire my relationship to being anxious and uncomfortable, but also rewire, actually say to those parts of me, I think this isn't real, so I'm going to let it happen and be in my life anyway. That maybe, just maybe, just maybe, I would be able to walk out of it. And I didn't do it alone, of course. My great mentor and uh, healer who has now passed away, his name is Jay Atacama, was my biggest ally. Um, my wife, Ashley Mayer, my brother, Isaac Corin, my parents, uh, community around me that, you know, my family around me that, trusted me enough to walk out of the worst and in that slowly but surely was my mantra and I'm still doing it I'm still a student of it and I'm doing it by sharing my voice here and maybe that's, that's the absolute best we can do and I invite you all to do the same no matter how you're feeling, even if it's the smallest steps or you can make great strides. Either way, it's those little steps that add up, that it's those little moments that you make that conscious behavioral choice to let something be till tomorrow, to take a risk on something and 
to share your voice or the next action anyway, regardless of the terror, the doubt, or any other feeling that might be triggering in your body, either depressive or obsessive. That if we take the risk, let something be, and ultimately do it without attachment to its perfection. I like to call it get a see. We put those three things together, it makes a incredible triangle of trust. In fact, that's the working title of my book I'm beginning to write now. I don't know in which order I want to put that, but it's uh, take a risk, let it be, get a see. I think those are the three greatest uh, actions or non-actions I took to be here today, being with all of you that are listening. So I'm going to play the song at the end of this podcast and uh, thank you for being with me as I unpacked some of the behind the story of here I go and here I have gone. I'm looking forward to all the upcoming episodes that I'll share with you, including some future special guests. I have some plans in the the future, some sexy future plans uh, to create community around Embracing Crazy. I hope you join me. Thank you for being with me. I'm Toro Corrin. See you next time. Sure how to say it burns
Show. 